Today's podcast session is supported by Uphill. So if you ask a therapist who's doing clinical work what the bane of their existence is, usually progress notes are in the top one to two. I'm not naming any names, but when I was doing clinical work, I remember I had several colleagues who would get so backed up on clinical notes, so they would end up spending their nights and weekends trying just to catch up. Honestly, who wants to do that? And this is where Appeal comes in. Appeal is AI-powered case notes. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word AI, we're, there's like a natural skepticism. And honestly, I had that skepticism as well until I got to meet with the Appeal team and learn about some of the many ways that they are doing this in a way that is HIPAA compliant and also doesn't sell data to anyone and also protects our clients as well. You can learn more about Uphill and the awesome work that they're doing in the world uh, by going to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Uphill. And Uphill is uh, spelled U-P and then H-E-A-L, all one word. And at checkout, be sure to enter the promo code COUCH25, C-O-U-C-H, and the number 25 to get 25% off your Uphill plan for the first two months. Hi there, it's Melvin. I hope you're having a wonderful day. So we are on a break from the STC podcast, but don't worry, we'll be back in April. Before we jump into today's session, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to listen to this podcast. You know, when I launched this podcast back in 2015, I did it with a lot of fear and uncertainty, and uh, I just never knew the impact that it would have on so many people, particularly uh, my colleagues in the mental health field. So if you're one of those colleagues, especially, thank you uh, for taking the time to listen. And if you could do me a very small favor, if you do find this episode helpful, please consider subscribing. The easiest way to do this is it's sellingthecouch.com forward slash listen. It's absolutely free. And what it practically allows us to do is it increases our download numbers, which also allows us to get bigger and bigger guests um, in order to serve our field. Thank you and enjoy today's session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 223 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an awesome day. So I'm recording this in early January and for some reason, it was 70 degrees here <laughs> in Philly yesterday, and I'm grateful for beautiful weather, but I'm also like, how in the world is it this warm in, in the middle of January? I hope that wherever you are, that you're doing well, especially if you're listening and you're, and you're in California, and if you're in Australia, especially wanted to let you know that we are thinking about you with uh, these wildfires and just with everything going on, I know that, you know, for some of us, like, because we don't live in that area, we may not understand, like, the, the pain and struggle that you're going through, but please know that that we are with you, we care deeply about you, and we love you, and we're thinking about you. Today's podcast conversation is a topic that I've been wanting to do a podcast on for a while, because I know that many of us want to do something like this, which is either do a retreat or a mini retreat. And, 
you know, for many of us, just one reason or another, maybe we've put it off. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's like, oh, you know, there, no one would attend. Or maybe it's, you know, you've often felt like, oh, I, there's always something else I can do and just kind of put this on the back burner. My guest today is Michaela Millen. Michaela is an art therapist in New York City, and her website is at michaelamillen.com. And Michaela actually had this great idea. So she works a lot with complex trauma. And over time, she, you know, was going to all these trainings and she realized, you know, what if I created a retreat where we actually focused on self care and where I brought together clinicians who you know, see very complex, very traumatic cases, and it's taking a toll on them. And what if I could just have a retreat where, you know, the emphasis was a little bit on education, but more on retreat and just on self-care. And so Michaela put this retreat together, and she's here to share about some of the lessons that she's learned along the way. So we start out our podcast conversation with me asking Michaela, just, you know, how did she even get an idea for this? How does she validate that people would actually even sign up? And then we get kind of into the nitty gritty of, you know, some of the things that have worked out really well, some of the things that maybe haven't worked out well, and, and the lessons that she's learned along the way. And then Michaela wraps up our time together with just sharing just some of the pearls of wisdom that she's learned along the way in terms of creating these retreats. She's done several of these and they're continuing to always iterate. And so she's learning a lot of things along the way. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Michaela Millen from michaelamillen.com. Before we get to this week's podcast session, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at zinimi.com, Kelly and Miranda, for supporting this week's podcast session. If you guys have never heard of Zinimi, they have a very basic but very powerful vision, which is basically to help us live a happy life and have a full practice. They have a number of resources for therapists, and they've also helped tens of thousands of therapists through their free online trainings, all of which are available to watch in their free online community. You can learn more about Zinimi and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Zinimi. And again, Zinimi is spelled Z-Y-N-N-Y-M-E. Hey, Michaela, welcome to Selling the Couch. Hi, Melvin. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to reconnect. So for those of you guys that are listening, I totally messed up on our previous podcast interview and Michaela was super gracious and understanding. And so I'm looking forward to our conversation because I know that, you know, many clinicians that are listening want, are thinking about retreats, thinking about mini retreats and, you know, may not even just have, at least, you know, for me, like I have no idea where to get started. So I really am grateful for your time. Oh, I'm so excited to tell you more about it. It's quite an adventure. <laughs> it sounds like a great adventure. I sense like, you know, something like this, it's wonderful, but it's, there's a lot of logistical stuff and a lot of planning and a lot of great adventuring, as you say. So <laughs> what did you see initially that made you decide, hey, you know, trying to do a retreat for trauma workers, there's a need for this? Well, I myself have been in the field of doing complex trauma work for about 10 years. And I personally had really wanted to find a supportive event of this type. And 
mostly what I found when I would look for it would be trainings and professional trainings. On a personal level, I'd started to get involved with these modalities after an accident I had a couple of years ago and found a really huge benefit for myself on the personal level. But what I didn't expect to happen through the personal work and through doing a training in hypnosis, sort of learning how to integrate this into my work is that my process of engaging in these practices was having an impact on my clients, even when I wasn't using the practices with them, which is to say, I'd be working with someone and not using hypnosis, not using somatic approaches with the person, but I would be really highly attuned to what was happening in their body during the session. I might notice a rise in tension or some sort of activation. And because I've been doing these practices on my own, I would instinctively make a shift in my body, right? Like I might Mm. instinctively drop down into my body or take a really deep breath or become aware of myself in the chair. And I could actually see the, the patient reacting to that, not having said anything. And I thought, you know, this, in addition to being a form of self-care for therapists to do in a safe environment, that doing this would actually also probably improve the practice of someone professionally, and that it might be a really great tool for reducing burnout. That's so cool. Like when you were talking about this, it reminds you of like, I, I don't know actually how true this story is, but it's something I like heard, I don't know, maybe like high school, college, but they said like, you know, samurais, when they're first like learning to use a samurai sword, they like, what they do is they just work on like one motion until they get it perfect. And then they work on the second motion. So then they combine the first and the second. And then before they know it, they add these motions and it's like, then you get this like beautiful, like way of, you know, using the sword. And I thought about that, like when you were talking, because it's not that you were just like going through trainings with these modalities, but you were practicing them and they almost became you. Yes. Oh, I love the way that you said that. It's so interesting that you mention it because, you know, I'm a Reiki practitioner and a Reiki master. And as I was reading about the history of Reiki, when I was doing my master training, I learned that actually the practice of Reiki has strong ties culturally to samurai practice, like in its earliest iteration, (laughs) it was heavily influenced by that. And I think that that really is the essence of these sort of energetic, more subconsciously oriented practices is that the actual practice is really just a tool, right? It's just a, it's a shortcut. It's a way of connecting to a certain idea or presence, but at a certain point, you don't need the tool anymore. It's sort of bells and whistles. It's not the thing. So it's really interesting you phrase it that way. Absolutely. And I think... What I also hear in what you're saying is you had this idea for a retreat, not just like, oh, I'm going to just create this and maybe it'll be a way to generate some other income. Like there was something like so deep and personal for you, right? Which I imagine as you plan this out, like you focused on a deeper why and a deeper like personal connection, which I think which I I would imagine like even through some of the harder seasons of coming up with this and developing it, that that carried you through? Absolutely. It was critical because to be honest, I had no idea how it was really going to work on on the business level in terms of, you know, it's not like someone had ever told me before, (laughs) I'm really looking for this kind of retreat or 
why don't trainings have more, you know, self-care involved in them? It was really based on my own experience. I kind of created the retreat I wanted for myself, essentially, with the hope that other people (laughs) would feel the same way. That's cool. So you used your personal experience. And then I guess that's a great question. How did you, so now that you had this retreat and you created the retreat that you wanted, I guess there is a difference between that and then making, and then people actually wanting to join you and pay for this, right? So how did you validate it? Like, did you go to local organizations? Did you reach out to colleagues? Like, what did you do? This might, this is probably not my most sound business decision. I think of myself as a pretty savvy business person, but in this case, I really made the decision to do the retreat before doing the research. (laughs) I felt I'd been thinking about it for a long time and I got to a certain point in mulling this over where I realized the only thing that was holding me back from doing it was that I was afraid that people wouldn't come. I had no other reason not to. It wasn't going to, you know, make me bankrupt. It wasn't the the worst thing that could happen is that it wasn't successful. And so I did apply, you know, some some thought and planning to structuring it in a way that I thought over time would be sustainable for me, which is to say I could pay myself for running it. So you're saying like like long-term growth, like you could you you put some structures in place for like if I did this in the future, this could grow where it would be profitable. Yes. And from the very beginning, my thought with this is that I really wanted to create a community environment. You know, myself, aside from trainings in these modalities, I go to groups and, and events of this nature, you know, breathwork groups, Reiki groups. And as a therapist, I've sometimes felt a little out of place, both in the sense that Sometimes people using holistic modalities have had negative experiences with therapy in the past. So sometimes it's not, sometimes it can feel a bit uncomfortable when someone's saying, I went to five years of therapy and nothing worked for me until I came here. And I'm like, hi, I'm Michaela, I'm a therapist. (laughs) You can feel a little uncomfortable. And I really thought, why aren't there any other therapists in these groups? Surely we need, we need care as well. So I wanted to create a community where it would be therapists really supporting each other on a peer-to-peer level. And for that reason, it felt important to me to be mindful of not getting really sucked into a heavy marketing scheme that would make it seem like it was a business for me. Because although I, I do, I want to pay myself, I don't want to do this entirely for free, that really was never the goal. I could probably think of better business plans as far as events go than this. The focus was creating a really high quality, really nourishing, restorative day-long retreat where people would learn professional tools, but more importantly, they would feel supported by a group of their peers and have this container to do their own personal work that perhaps they would continue afterwards and maybe come back again. Yeah. So it wasn't just like a one-off kind of retreat. This, I mean, I love how you're talking about it because it's like, I don't know, for me, I think this is something I would probably have to like be really careful about, which is if I were ever to like plan a conference, I would be thinking so much on the conference, but you actually thought about like conference plus how do we build community, right? So the conference is the means to build community as opposed to conference being the end point. 
So you created the structure, I guess, how did you, man, I could ask like so many questions around this. Like, how did you figure out a structure for this? Like how many days, like what, it, what was going to encompass? Like, how, what did you do? Well, some of this was, was based on the logistics and the business end of it. In order to take this, this risk, because I truly had no idea what kind of interest there might be. I decided to start with this, I termed it a mini retreat. It's a day long retreat. I live in New York City. The retreat is in New York City. It was the sort of thing you can drop in for one weekend day. I structured it thinking about my own experiences taking trainings and doing retreats, which is that I kept it at six hours because that felt like not a full day. You could come in a little later in the morning, so it's not an early wake-up call. For me, that's something that'll turn me off to an event, (laughs) is having to arrive at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. Yeah. What time did you end up starting? Well, the first first three that I did, I started at 10 a.m., and I'm actually moving it up to 11. (laughs) For that reason, I think it, it can be a deterrent sometimes for people. I wanted to include something to organize the group together from almost a classic psychotherapy perspective that having some sort of theme and discussion would help create more connection for the therapeutic modalities later. So I do the beginning of the day, the first hour and a half to two hours is really not exactly a training, but sort of a discussion and discourse reflecting on a particular topic and certain clinical issues relating to trauma and facilitating trauma work. So I guess just offhand, like what was an example of like one you guys did? Oh yeah. So I did one on attachment trauma and kind of working in the nonverbal realm with people, working with nonverbal and somatic interventions. I did one on complex populations and somatic interventions, like for example, populations who have a hostile relationship with the body, such as people with eating disorders. I also included some work with gender variance in terms of people with discomfort in their current body, how to do somatic work with someone who had those difficulties. I did one on grief in the body, just a few examples. So with these topics, like, did you come up with them? Or like, after the first one, did you ask participants, like, what future ones would you like? Like, how did you come up with, because you did different versions, right? Yes. So I did, I did ask participants, I didn't get a lot of concrete feedback on a topic that someone suggested. So I did come up with these on my own. I drew upon topics of interest to me that I felt I had something to offer. And it's an informal training type of format that it's really mixed level. In each event, there was a different mixture of people with experience levels that varied, right? So in retreats where there were people more in their early career phase, it did have more of a training feel where I was offering a lot of information. Other events that I did had a lot of very experienced practitioners. So it was really almost more of like a group discussion sharing these experiences and how it came up. And that became the framing for the work later. So it seems like you had some sort of, I guess, way to screen to try to get a a rough gauge of like experience level of the participants. Well, I always wrote an outline for myself before starting and a small handout. And actually I asked people when they came in what they were looking for. 
And then I sort of improvised from there, to be honest. I've been presenting material professionally for for some time. So at this point, I feel like I have the ability, if I need to, to do an hour, a couple hour presentation if there's really no interest in dialogue, but that generally hasn't happened. Usually people want to share their experiences. They want direct feedback, but also a big piece of this is not just what do you do with people who have these difficulties as what is it like to work with people with these difficulties and having, breaking down this stigma around around burnout as something that is inevitable if you do trauma-focused work. You're only human. It doesn't matter how many massages you get, how often you take vacation, how good you are at you know going to your own personal practices. There is a weight to this work that accumulates over time. And I feel it's really healthy to acknowledge that as something that's not a personal failing of the therapist. Yeah, it's more stored. I would think like that perspective is a lot more empowering as opposed to like, oh, you're a therapist that struggles with this. Well, not at all therapists, you know, like not that we were presented that way, but I think that is like a general struggle that I would think that clinicians, especially that work with complex trauma have, like, am I the only one that's struggling with this? And, you know. Yes. And especially as you gain more experience, it feels harder to admit and it can really sneak up on you. We're supposed, I think, as we get more experience, we think like we should know how to prevent this. We should see it coming. We should know what to do. And it's really frustrating to share with a colleague, I'm really struggling. I'm having a hard time. I'm feeling, I'm feeling less myself. And the response is, well, what's your self-care like? Have, are you going to supervision? Which are good questions. To be fair, those are excellent questions, but there's an othering there, right? There's a sense of, well, what are you doing wrong? right? Are you doing all the things you're supposed to be doing? And when the answer is yes, I found often there wasn't a lot more people had to say. Yeah. It's such like, there's like such subtle nuances to all of this. Yeah. I wanted to like shift a little bit and just ask you a little bit. Well, two things. One is like, how did you figure out the venue for something like this? Because you, you had the idea, you didn't know like exactly how many people would show up or, you know, like yeah, I guess based on some of those factors, like how did you, your first time you figured out a venue, how did you go about that? I looked for a venue first and foremost that was comfortable and pleasant. If the purpose of this was to be therapeutic and we were focusing in somatic interventions, I wanted to find a space that was beautiful where people would come in and feel comfortable and relaxed. So I used a yoga and meditation studio for the first three, and I'm, I'm using a new venue for this upcoming event, but it's also a yoga meditation sort of space. So you wanted to like, I guess, present, you wanted a place people could feel calm and relaxed. Like it wasn't the typical conference environment necessarily, right? Yes, absolutely. I really wanted to create something that felt more like a retreat than a training where we would sit in a circular format and be able to all see each other, inviting more conversation rather than me at the front and everyone in rows. I wanted it to be physically comfortable also because breath work, which is one of the primary modalities I use in the afternoon is done lying down. So there was also practical reasons for that. I wanted yoga mats and blankets and bolsters and things like that, that would make it comfortable and I decided the amount of people 
that that could register right, the total, the max amount based on what felt to me as large as a group could be while still feeling intimate, not feeling anonymous, where you would more or less have a sense of each person that was in the group. I love how you're like balancing like intuitive with practical business stuff. So I wanted to just compliment you on that. It wasn't a question, but I just, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like it's one of the things that I'm sort of, I think growing in as a business owner is like, you take the experience that you have and you still rely on your gut and, you know, and yeah. so it's that, that, that fine balance between the, the two. I, you said something earlier, which I kind of wanted to just was curious about. You said with the marketing, so I would think the folks that you're wanting to come to this retreat, it's what you said, right? There's, there might be a, like a legitimate percentage of this, these folks who've done this for a while and they're dealing with complex trauma and there's almost like a shame around admitting that they need something like a retreat, right? So what did you do or what things did you do to like, I guess, work through that or overcome that from like a marketing perspective? Well, I tried to stay primarily oriented around the listservs and broader communities that I was a part of and really spoke from my own personal experience when talking about the event. So on a number of occasions, I shared that as strange as it might be to sort of start a new business venture as a response to burnout, that is that was the reason why I started this. It was largely born of my own experience and something that has been really meaningful to me in my own personal work, as well as the work I do with patients is that, you know, if you can lead with your own vulnerability, it puts other people at ease. So rather than marketing it like in this perspective of therapists have this problem that they need to work on, it was really leading from, I felt this challenge in myself. And these are the modalities that really work for me. I use them in my practice, but I use them myself. It's helped me. And I want to create a community where we can support each other. And in all of my marketing, that's been my focus is creating a community where we can break down these barriers that say, we're supposed to know what we're doing and we're somehow more than human and this work doesn't affect us. Gosh, that like, I feel like what you just said, I just need to like put on a wall. I'm just going to repeat it because it was so beautifully said. You said, if, if you can lead with your own vulnerability, it puts people at ease. And I just think, man, you know, if all of us like sort of approached marketing that way, right? Maybe it wouldn't feel like marketing, right? It would just be more about human connection. Yeah. Mikhail, I wanted to wrap up with kind of a three-part question, which is as you, you've done multiple iterations of these retreats and as you think about these, like what would you say is one thing that's gone well, one thing that is maybe bombed and then just sort of one pearl of wisdom that you can share as kind of a big takeaway if someone's listening and they want to do a mini retreat? Yeah. What really worked incredibly here is that Somehow, brave souls came to each of these retreats, some of which, some of them knew me, but a lot of them didn't, and tried something entirely different from anything else I see being offered. And it was really wonderful to see people take a chance on something that was pretty unusual, I think, <laughs> in terms of the format of, of trainings. And what worked well was, I think, being able to communicate to people that 
this could be helpful based primarily on my own enthusiasm because I had never done something like this before. I think maybe people in my community know that I'm skilled as a trainer, but we're not familiar with these modalities that I use. And I feel I did a good job in communicating that. What really bombed, if we're going to use that term, is that my focus on moving through my own personal barriers doing something like this influenced me to do these retreats pretty close together, which was really helpful for my own learning. I needed to do it a few times and and have it be close enough together that I could feel the relationship between them. But the result is that it divided the number of people registered over several retreats. So none of them from a business perspective filled the capacity. That's probably the the main thing I'm trying to address. And for that reason, I'm doing them less frequently this year. Yeah. So I guess um, that's a really like, and thank you for just being like open and honest about it. Cause I feel like with anything, right. There's, we talk a lot about all the things that went well, but you know, what's, we can learn a lot from the things that, that didn't work out. Right. So in terms of spacing, I guess, what did, what was it initially? Like, what was the spacing? And then what did you like, what are you thinking now? Originally I did it about six weeks apart. And part of that was for my own learning. Another was to, I wanted to create a community environment. So I thought having them more frequently would be useful for that. But what I didn't anticipate is that that meant that I was promoting this for four months straight. As soon as one of them ended. Right. You're simultaneously trying to prep for the current one while trying to market and promote the future ones. Exactly. It was constant. As soon as one ended, I had to start working on the next one. It was a pace that wasn't good for me personally, but it also didn't actually give it time to grow in the way that I think that I think it needed. So this year, I'm doing it more on a quarterly schedule. So there's some time in between. And I also hope with it being a weekend day that that's going to encourage more return participants because there's some space in between them. Right. You said you use the word space to grow, right? Like, so the gap allows some space to grow. And so you're thinking like in terms of, I mean, I think what you're saying is like your own personal growth and then like the community, like, I guess after each of these retreats, you can give the the members like an opportunity to connect without like feeling this thing of like, oh, here's the next iteration, you know? Yes. Is that what you meant kind of with it? Absolutely. And to give people time to process their experience as well. These modalities are quite intense. And I think I think it takes time to reflect on what the impact of it is. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. As we wrap up, what would you say is like one pearl of wisdom you could share if someone's listening to this and they're excited about doing a mini retreat? For me, the most the most useful foundational piece of how I created this is that I believed in it on a personal level. And because it meant something to me and I had fun doing it, it wasn't very traumatic when there were business setbacks because I was really invested in the process and I believed in in what I was doing. And I just wasn't that worried about it. With this new one coming up, I'm I'm just not worried about that piece of it because I'm doing it in total alignment with what I wanted to do. So there's nothing lost if it doesn't if it doesn't work out. I put my all into it. And that's what I would suggest to anyone doing this kind of work. Yeah. If it if you strictly think about it from a financial perspective, right? It's hard to connect 
it to the heart and the deeper purpose of why you're doing it. Yes. Mikhail, I'm just so grateful for you. I'm grateful that you had the courage to even do these mini retreats. I know that you're still continuing to like evolve and refine them, but I just, I sense like already how many colleagues have just been served well because you stepped out and decided to listen to like an uncertain dream instead of your own fears. So well, thank you so much. That really, that really means a lot to me to hear. And I, I certainly hope that that is true. Where can we learn more about you and the awesome work that you're doing in the world? You can visit my website. It's mckellamillan.com. There is a retreats page that goes into more detail about this. And there's also a newsletter on that page that you can sign up for where I do let you know about upcoming events, but I also write articles about various related topics. Really recommend it. Perfect. And I'll put that on the show notes page for you guys, which you can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 223. Michaela, thank you again for doing this. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. Likewise. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey there, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michaela, and especially if you've been thinking about doing any kind of a retreat to both serve others as well as create other income streams. I hope that today's podcast session has just been super helpful for you. Show notes to today's episode can be found over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 223. As I was doing this interview with Michaela, I don't, I think I want to do a retreat at some point in my career, but I just couldn't, I just found myself so excited. And I think one of the things that I really took away from this conversation is this is something that I personally struggle with, not just with like even thinking in like something like a retreat, but just in general. A lot of times I envision what the final product looks like and I think about all the complexity to get to that final product and all of the different moving pieces that are involved. And I get way too overwhelmed. And I think one of the things that I took away from Michaela's just tips and advice was uh, just to get started. You don't have to get it perfect the first time. And the real key is just to get it going. As we wrap up, I again, wanted to take a moment to thank Kelly and Miranda from Zinimi for supporting this month's podcast sessions. So as I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago, but I'm actually in Kelly and Miranda's business boot camp, and I've been in it for a couple of years, and I decided to take it because, one, I just didn't feel confident in my own business abilities, and I felt like, especially in the early days of selling the couch, there was just a lot of stuff I had to figure out, and I knew that I wanted to have a small-scale practice as well, and those are things I, I just wanted to kind of figure out. And one of the lessons that I've always learned in life is if you want to do something or you want to get somewhere, invest in people who have done it and who can guide you. It's scary to do that, but in the long term, it saves a lot of time and it saves a lot of money and all of those different things. And one of the really cool things about a business bootcamp is this not just an online course, there's a thriving online community. So if you're running into any kind of issues with the day-to-day running of your practice. And the really cool thing is they really do, Kelly and Miranda especially, they think outside the box of what it means to be in private practice. And so if you have any of those struggles, there's a community there to support you as well. You can learn more about Kelly and Miranda and Business Bootcamp over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash zini me. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time.
Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. Hey there, I hope that you enjoyed today's session. Uh, Thank you again for taking the time to listen all the way through. If you are a therapist and you're specifically in a season where you're a seasoned therapist and you are wanting to move from clinical to online course income, we actually have a specific mastermind for therapists who are doing this. So this is basically a group of really kind and supportive therapists who are also wildly successful as business owners. And we we meet together uh, to build and grow and scale our online courses. You can learn more about that mastermind over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash mastermind, all one word, sellingthecouch.com forward slash mastermind. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's session. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.